Well, good morning, church. Uh, I really like that video because it's a great lead-in for why I'm up here. I want to talk to you about a small group that I'm going to be leading in September. We're going to start on the 17th here at the church from 6.30 to 8. Uh, my topic is uncovering the mysteries of Genesis. And uh, this is a little bit different from most of the small groups that we do. Uh, this is not a Bible study. It's actually a 12-part video series that explains to us why secular scientists believe what they do and why that contradicts the Bible. Um, you know, every week there's something in the news that contradicts the Bible. This past week I looked at a few headlines and uh, here's one. It says they found a 145 million year old fossil. Uh, it's a new dinosaur. And uh, here's another one. Um, they found an ancient spider fossil in Germany. That's 310 million years old. And uh, here's a personal favorite. They found a 182 million year old fish fossil. And they were really excited because they found out it died from indigestion. <laughs> All right. Well, why do things like that make it in the news? Is that really significant? Well, it's because secular scientists want you to doubt what the Bible says. They want you to believe what they believe instead of what the Bible says. This film series will really help you if you're confused or you're doubting what the Word of God says. You know, we, it's not enough for Christians just to say, well, I believe the Bible, and that's that. It's important for us to have a defense of the faith. And that's really what this film series is. It's Christian apologetics. If you are one of those who leans toward the, scientific, the secular scientist's interpretation of the, of the evidence that we have, I would really encourage you to get in this small group because we're going to present the side that you never hear in the news. We're going to present the side that supports creation, as the Bible said. Well, all right, well, maybe you don't like all that science stuff. Okay, if that's the case, I think you really need to listen to this next small group presentation. Seth? Thank you, sir. In John 13, 35, um, Jesus states by this, everyone will know uh, that you are my disciples, and that is that you have love one toward another. Um, how is it that we can show the world that we follow Jesus? It is through the love that we share towards one another. And this is what is on display through our small group ministry here at Grace. An invitation to small group is an invitation not only to love others, but also to receive love from our brothers and sisters in Christ. As Christians, we need at least three helpers so that we can grow in our faith. And those three things are the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the family of God. Now, I love the Word of God, don't you? And I love that Romans 8 teaches that if I am in Christ, I have his Holy Spirit, his comforter, his comforter indwelling my very being. 
But I am also glad that God also ordained that, that the body of Christ be intimately involved in encouraging and challenging each other in our walk with Christ. This is not the tendency of our culture, of our cultural setting, which seeks to drive us toward isolation. But as followers of Christ, we must be countercultural and press into the desire that Christ has for us to be in fellowship one with another. On Wednesday nights during the school year, our children meet to learn from the scriptures through Awana or through our 412 ministry youth group. If you're like me and you travel a decent ways away to get here, you have to find something to occupy your time uh, while waiting for these activities to be over. And that gap has been filled on Wednesday nights for the last year with a small group that meets at the very same time. Uh, Michael Andrew Jeske led that for the last year, um, and um, it has been a fantastic time of fellowship and study. This fall, we will once again dive into the Word of God on Wednesday nights here at the church. Um, in your handout that you received this morning, it says what the topic is going to be for each of these different small groups, and the one that is on mine says that it's going to be the presence of God. It is not going to be on the presence of God. Um, that was my fault. I made an audible at the last minute. Um, and so it, it's actually going to be uh, on add to your faith. In Second Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, the Bible mentions seven characteristics that should be added to our faith. These characteristics are not to add to the gospel. In fact, that would be a heresy according to Galatians 1. Rather, as the verses afterwards would indicate, these growth characteristics help us to be fruitful in our relationship with the Lord and from falling back into the sins of our old nature, even to the point of forgetting or doubting our salvation. This fall, we will study these seven growth characteristics. Why do we need to add them to our faith? Is one more important than another? How is charity different than brotherly kindness? Uh, of course, in order to add to your faith, you must first possess faith. So we will start with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then there's that word add. It may not mean what you think it means. I can tell you that it's the only time it is used that way in the New Testament. So I invite you to come and pursue growth with us this fall. Right, thank you. I think I was four or five. I remember waking up because I heard the gunshot and then looking out the window and seeing all the police and fire trucks and ambulances. And then that's when it finally hit me that he did that. For the next three years, every time Ron tried to kill himself, I saved, um, I saved a round and I put it in my sock drawer um, because I don't, I don't really know why, but I think I kind of needed to remind myself that I was helping and not hurting him more. So I did that to like just let myself see, look, he could have been dead this many times over. I had just gotten back from a trip down to North Carolina business trip and just that night I sat in my truck and I I always carry a gun and I put it to my head and 
I thought of her, and I thought of her son. Suicide is more than leaving skeletons in the closet. It's leaving a legacy of great, unspeakable pain. And my sisters had put a, uh, a sheet up uh, to welcome home Eddie, it said. And uh, something happened. Someone asked me a, an awkward question. Someone said, did you, did you kill anybody while you were there? And that just uh, triggered something in me. So sometimes, um, you know, I think we kind of push him, push my brother into trying some of these things that we think, oh my gosh, this would be so good for you to open up and talk about. But what we're doing is slicing open a wound. I mean, for a long time, I couldn't blow dry my hair in the bathroom when he was in there because he would smell burnt hair. But it would trigger something in him, you know? I mean, I don't want to be associated by blow drying my hair to picking up the burnt remains of someone. Training uh, to go to war, uh, for me, uh, is nowhere near as difficult as preparing to come home and deal with the unknown. Because at the end of the day, it's all about family and faith, nothing else. Good morning, church. So the movie will be tonight at 6 o'clock, and we will open the building at 4.30. And uh, I changed that from 5 to 4.30 in case you had a, a big supper, and it took you an hour to eat it. So um, we will open the building at 4.30, and then we'll show the movie at 6 o'clock. There will also be a movie for the children. So if you want, your, uh, want to come and, and you're like, what am I going to do with my child? There will be a movie provided for them uh, during that time as well. So I encourage you to come. And one of the things I would really encourage you to do is <clears throat> if you have friends that are veterans, um, I would really, really encourage you to invite them. Bob Waldrop stopped by this week to see us and to drop off some posters. And um, we had a good talk, and he's really looking forward. He will actually be here tonight to introduce the movie, and we'll make some comments about that. And so I, I trust that you'll make every effort to come tonight at 6 o'clock, and I know we're asking you to come back out on a Sunday. I remember years ago we had a discussion about that in our homiletics class at Southeastern Bible College, and that was back in 1987, and we were talking about at the time, will people come back out for a second service on a Sunday? So even back then we were thinking about the fact that people, when they come to a building, they'll stay for an event which might last two, three, four hours but they're not going to come back to that same building on the same day. And so I'm asking you to do something that uh, you might not want to do, but I think it would encourage you to be uh, uh, here and to watch that movie. And it might help us as we interact with those who are veterans that uh, have had struggles. And we certainly appreciate all those men and women that have served our country. Wanted to take an opportunity to welcome anyone who's visiting with us this morning. And uh, just this week, we um, started putting, if you'll notice in the back of the chairs, there are some visitor cards. And uh, we'd like to, you to fill it out if you're visiting with us. And we'd love to have a record of your attendance. Love to be able to contact you if that's what you desire. Um, and uh, this will help us as we seek to learn names and people 
uh, that would really, really help us. Uh, one of the things we are working on, um, the staff is putting together a, a directory, and we, we really want it to be something that's accessible for our people. We want it to be something that we have that uh, you'll be able to have a hard copy of, but also um, there'll be a, a, a place on our um, webpage that will be established so that that directory can be accessed through our webpage with passwords. We want password protected. We want to protect our people, but we want to know our people. And we live in a different uh, time, and so we're not going to pressure you about that, but we, we look forward to that. And uh, so get your smile ready and all that kind of thing, and I'll let you know when that will take place. Uh, speaking of visitors, we will have a visitor's luncheon on September the 10th, and I'll remind you guys as we move forward with that. But if you're visiting and you want to know more about Grace, we'd love to be able to just share lunch with you and talk about that. And so there are sign-up sheets out there in the um, foyer as you leave. There's one at the um, visitor's uh, station. There's one just on this wall. And uh, so you can uh, sign up, and we'd love to be able to, like I said, share lunch with you and tell you more about Grace. So um, if you're interested in that, uh, please sign up for that, and we'll contact you uh, between now and then, okay? All right, well, this morning I wanted to uh, begin with reading some Scripture. And um, I want to take two or three weeks to, at least probably three weeks, to read through this. Um, I'd like you to turn to Proverbs chapter 15, and I want to read just the first nine verses this morning as we think about the wisdom that is shared uh, with us uh, from Solomon. It's important that um, we understand the type of literature that we are reading when we approach Scripture, and this is wisdom literature, okay? And so I think one of the things that can be confusing at times is that uh, this is not, these aren't promises that are given. Uh, this is wisdom. And so there's a difference between the two. So I want to um, ask you to, to stand as we read chapter 15, verses 1 through 9 this morning. A gentle answer turns away wrath. Have you found that to be true? It's good wisdom. But a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable. But the mouth of fools spouts folly. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching the evil and the good. A soothing tongue is a tree of life, but perversion in it crushes the spirit. A fool rejects his father's discipline, but he who regards reproof is sensible. Great wealth is in the house of the righteous, but trouble is in the income of the wicked. The lips of the wise spread knowledge, but the hearts of fools are not so. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves one who pursues righteousness. May the Lord bless the reading of his word, and we, may we think more about these verses even during our week as the Lord gives us breath. All right, let's pray uh, together.
Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the wisdom that comes through your word. Gives us knowledge about who you are and about what you desire for us. I pray that we've come this morning prepared to worship you. I pray our hearts are right before you and that, um, Lord, our worship would be pleasing in your sight. Uh, may we honor you today in all that we say and all that we do. In the name of our precious Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. It's so good to be in the house of the Lord with all of you. One thing that Seth said a few minutes ago, that, uh, that we need the Word and we need the Spirit, but we need each other. And we're all here to worship the Lord. We're here to honor Him. And I'm just glad to, to see all of you tonight we, uh, to, or today. We're uh, missing a few people in the choir and things like that. So I've asked Jessica just to help us out. And it's just us and the Lord. And let's just, uh, uh, let's just uh, worship Him and just bow down before Him today. I have a few verses of Scripture I'd like to share with you because the comforting, the comforting words of the, of the Word of God uh, the verse of Scripture in First John, of course, says that I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know, you may know that you have eternal life. In the Old Testament, an Old Testament, you know, people, they even knew that. The psalmist said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And then uh, Paul says, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, uh, nor height, nor depth, nor anything, anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that comforting? Isn't that great? That's the type of God we're here to, uh, to, to worship this morning. So. Anyway. Just start singing with me right now. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. This is my story. My song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Praising my Savior. We fall down, we lay. 
Oh 
I know not everybody knows me, um, but we've been coming here for five years, right, Seth? Five? Four. I can't count. So four years, and um, it has definitely been a time of growth and a time of just ask the Lord um, last year, please restore unto me the joy of your salvation. And sometimes when we ask God to continuously work in our hearts, we're not sure what to expect. Um, but one thing I can say is no matter what is going on in my life, whatever's going on in your life, that, um, when things seem unredeemable, when they seem like they're so broken, there's absolutely no way God could do anything with this. He really, truly does work all things together for our good. And it's where his grace abides. world, the coldest heart, the deepest wound, the endless dark, the lonely ache, the burning tears, the bitter nights, the wasted years, life breaks and falls apart.
Thank you, Jessica. We appreciate uh, your ministry and your willingness to sing as the Lord has given you talent. And um, we get to benefit from that and hear her testimony. And I really, really appreciate that. Well, this is a newspaper. This is a newspaper. How many of you know that that is true? This is a newspaper. I think this thing is ringing on me up here. Um, how many of you have never read a newspaper? Never read a newspaper? Young people, I'm never. It's okay to raise your hand. You've never read a newspaper. We used to read newspapers all the time. Um, one of the things that happens when you pick up a newspaper, this is the New York Times, if you could read where you were sitting, you could see that. And um, there are, what, 19, 20 pages. The front page has all kind of lead stories on it, and um, you could read through that, and some are interesting and some are not at all. Um, but as you know, with a paper, typically a front page story um, will continue on the back page. You know, sometimes that happens. So you might have to go from the front to the back. But how many of you were only front page readers when you read a paper? Who would want to admit that, right? And all of these other pages in here were just kind of there. You never made it to those pages. The New York Times is one of those newspapers you could pick up. I used to like to pick up the Birmingham News at times. And um, sometimes, just for sake of illustration, you might have the sports section. And on the front page of the sports section, it might have Alabama and looking forward to the football season and the prediction of them as national champs. Or you might have on there Auburn and, you know, just the prediction of them being national champs and then tucked away on page four, right in the middle, is the greatest story of all. Arkansas will be national champs this year. So just because you don't flip to the middle part of the paper, you miss out on the greatest story. Well, do you know sometimes we miss out on great stories because we don't read the end of books in the Bible. Um... I love to study and read things that you don't find a lot of people studying or reading. I'm just built that way. I was thinking about that this week. I'm not afraid to approach any text. Um, I don't know everything. I'm a student just like you are, and I am learning. Um, but it excites me to learn. And so um, I'm just going to take you on a journey with me. We started last week, and we looked at Epaphras. You remember that? And um, this week, we're going to venture into Romans, and so I want you to turn into Romans in the 16th chapter, and I want to introduce you to someone this morning that might make you a little nervous. Is that okay? It's all right to me. In fact, you might have to stretch your arms and even your legs. It depends on how uncomfortable you get. But we are going to look this morning at one of my favorite characters in the Bible. Her name is Phoebe. Do you know that name means radiant or bright? 
Um, and that, that's so fitting for what happens when a person comes to Christ. They are radiant, they're bright, there's something to share and something to do. And I just would have been one of those that have, would have wanted to be around Phoebe. She was quite a difference maker. In fact, I put as uh, the title an example to many. Whether you recognize it or not, you're an example to at least some. I don't know if you're an example to many, but some of you are indeed an example to many. But all of you are an example to some. And what will be said about your life at the end of your race? Something to think about. Phoebe's quite an interesting character. I want to read verses 1 and 2. I want to make a few comments and then I want to go back and look at three specific things that we're told about in the Bible. I guess one of the thoughts that crossed my mind this week um, that was quite interesting is if I was a woman sitting in the congregation on a week-to-week basis, I would hear names like Paul and Peter and James and John and Daniel and Joseph and wonder at times, were there any females in the Bible? And the answer is yes. Some very impactful women in the Bible. It's unfortunate that we don't treat kind of with the same respect in some ways. Um, I'm, I'm just led to speak this morning about this woman who so impacted at least people in Sincre, or Sincre is however you might pronounce that. Um, I like Sincre because it's simple. Um, I wanted to read just verses 1 and 2, make some comments, and then we will um, uh, come back to it and look at three specific things. But notice what it says, verse 1. I commend to you our sister Phoebe. J.I. Packer says in his book on knowing God that if we want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he or she makes of being a child of God. Notice right from the very get-go, Paul refers to Phoebe as not my sister, not your sister, but our sister. Well, why does he do that? I think we'll talk about that in a few moments, and there is something to consider there. But right from the very beginning, Paul acknowledges the fact that Phoebe is a believer, a sister in the Lord Jesus Christ. So it got me to thinking about the fact that we all should not take for granted, if we belong to the Lord, that we are a brother or a sister in Christ. That we, as believers, are a family. How many of you remember the song by Sister Sledge? We are... I got all my sisters with me. Some of you need to go back and listen to it again. We are family. I got all my sisters with me, right? Because it was sisters who were singing the song. And I was thinking, man, they were really um, jubilant when they were singing that song. 
they really got into it. We are family. And I got to thinking that we really ought to get into being a family. Family gives us a sense of belonging, right? You think about the home. Our children, as they grow up, they want to belong. Uh, And when they get to be teenagers, they really want to belong, and they stretch their muscles, so to speak, and they're trying to figure it all out. But at the end of the day, being family is awesome and really important that our children understand and grow up with the mind that family is important. It's essential as they grow up. That there is a sense of belonging at their own home. Do you feel like you belong here? That's important. If you're a believer in Christ, that you have that sense of, I belong. I'm someone. Well, it begins with, I'm someone in Christ, but it also is important for us to think, not only am I someone in Christ, but I'm someone in the body of Christ. And unfortunately, I think that there may be many who attend church today, and that's all they do is attend church, and they don't feel like they belong to the family of God. But I don't care if you're 13 years old or you're 90 years old. If you belong to Christ, you're part of a family. Family of God. When I was in New York State, my pastor used to tell me, Phil, he would say, Thad, one day you will come to appreciate the family of God like you've never done before. As you continue in the ministry, that will be something that will impress you. And you know what? I love my family here. Now, I don't know if you love me, I have no idea. But I love you. You're my family. It's important to have that sense of belonging. And you know, there's not a song by Sister Sledge for us, but there is a song that we used to sing growing up. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. You remember that song? Would you like to sing that song? Maybe later. Okay. (laughs) So Paul begins by referring to... Phoebe as our sister. Now that's important in light of what we'll say a little bit more about in a few moments that most theologians believe it was Phoebe who carried this doctrinal dissertation on salvation to the church at Rome. Imagine that. To have in your possession this letter of Romans. Most believe that she did. I don't see any reason to believe she did not. She certainly would have had the resources to be able to get to Rome. And so Paul writes in the beginning and he says, she's our sister. That would be important to the ones receiving the letter. So he says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church which is at Sincree. Or Sincrea. I don't know. Some people say Sincrea. Some people say Sincrea. I guess if you're from Louisiana, you probably say Sincrea. All right? Kind of a Cajun twist to it. Sincrea, you say, where in the world was Sincrea? Well, Sincrea was about nine miles from Corinth. 
Um, I think that I have, in fact, a little map here for you. There's Corinth. And then on the next page, I believe I even have there, you see Sincre right here. It was a port city about nine miles from Corinth. Today is just a small village. But Paul wrote to them, he says, she's a servant of the church which is at Sincre. He says that you might receive her in a manner worthy of the saints and that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you for she herself has also been a helper of many and of myself as well. Um, I wanted to just show you briefly a video that might help us understand a little bit about the area that Phoebe lived in. Now, Phoebe would have been from this area here. Uh, Corinth, like I said, was about nine miles away. So the influence would have been great from even Corinth, which was quite a, a city. If you read, um, they believe that it was probably the fifth largest city at the time and a lot of influence, okay? And not all the influence was good influence. And so um, Phoebe, uh, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, it appears had relationship not only with Paul, obviously, but with those even in Corinth. And so I wanted to just show you this uh, it's about a four-minute video. The guy we saw last week, Dave Stotts is his name. By the way, I got his name between now and uh, between last week and this week. But his name's Dave Stotts, and he has a little bit to say about Sincre. A lot of it's about Corinth, but it'll help you kind of understand some of that area and what was going on uh, during that time period. So let's show that video real quick. Rivalry with the city-state of Athens lasted for hundreds of years. During the period of the Achaean League in the 3rd and 2nd centuries BC, Corinth was the largest city and eventually made the capital. However, in 146 BC, the Romans destroyed Corinth and it was mostly abandoned. About 100 years later, in 44 BC, Julius Caesar refounded Corinth. As a Roman colony, the city was soon filled with freedmen, Roman army veterans, locals, and transplants from elsewhere. The character of the new city was changed into one that was very Roman. Then in 27 BC, Augustus made Corinth the capital of the Achaia province. Roman Corinth was located on an isthmus with two harbors, making it one of the hubs of the Roman world. The harbor of Sencrie on the east led to the Aegean Sea, and the harbor of Lechium on the west led to the Adriatic. A paved road called the Diolkos connected the two harbors, which allowed the movement of goods, animals, people, and small boats nearly four miles across the isthmus. As a major transit hub, commerce thrived and the government collected plenty of taxes. About 15 or so years ago, I visited Corinth when doing a series on ancient Greece, and I learned the story of the great Corinth Canal. In short, the idea to build four miles of canal through this strategic land goes all the way back to 602 BC, when Periandros, the tyrant of Corinth, wanted to accomplish the feat. He was scared out of the project, however, by a soothsayer, who allegedly told him that building a canal 
through the isthmus would incur the rage of the gods. Thereafter, different leaders from different empires made several different failed attempts. As you can see, you've got to cut through a lot of rock. It wasn't until 1893 and the invention of dynamite that the Corinth Canal was finally opened. In 1858, Corinth was destroyed by a major earthquake. As a result, the modern city of Corinth was rebuilt about three miles northeast of here. This allowed archaeologists to start significant explorations in the ancient city. Excavations have now uncovered much of Roman period Corinth, including an agora, a forum, a city council building, gymnasiums, baths, a 14,000-seat theater, and multiple temples to mythological gods. This was the Corinth that Paul visited when he came here in 50 AD. It was the capital of Achaia province and the seat of Roman power in the region, being controlled by a proconsul. Corinth was probably the fifth largest city in the Roman Empire, behind Rome, Alexandria, Ephesus, and Antioch. And since it was a hub of travel and commerce with a population of over 200,000 people, it was yet another location for the gospel to have far-reaching impact. Let's return to the book of Acts. Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. Acts 18, 1 through 4. Luke tells us that after Paul arrived in Corinth, he soon met Priscilla and Aquila, fellow tent makers who had been deported from Rome by Emperor Claudius. According to first century records, Claudius tried to rid Rome of Judeans and Christians in about 49 AD. Now, Paul and his new friends may have sold their tents right here in this location in what would have been shops at the western side of the Forum. Paul also followed his normal custom of going to the synagogue to preach the gospel. Guys, it kind of get. I know it's a lot about Corinth, but it, it's so connected, right? And if you read Acts 18, you'll see even mentioned that Paul had a, a haircut done in Sincre because of a vow he'd made. And so, it's there, there's connection there, all right. And I wanted you to kind of see that because that would have been the area that uh, Phoebe would have been in, and obviously she was familiar with Paul and Paul with her. And uh, she became a very, very important person, not only in the church at Sincre, um, and maybe even potentially with some connection to Corinth, but she would have been very important to the church at Rome because she would have been the one that most theologians believe carried this letter, this gospel letter, a very important dissertation on the doctrine of salvation. And so um, even though it was probably about 800 miles for her to make that trip it's obvious from the context that she had a wherewithal to be able to pay for that, to be able to do that, as we're going to see. One of the words that Paul uses about her indicates that she had a lot. And so um, it would have been something that she would have been able to do. 
And so when I think about Phoebe, I think about impact. She had an impact that maybe, I mean, how many times have you ever heard someone say, open to Romans 16, let's talk about Phoebe, probably not too many times in your lifetime, but she's a tremendous, tremendous woman of the Lord, and I want to pay attention to what the Bible says about her. So let's look together at three things specifically that Paul uh, declares about Phoebe. First of all, he declared his unequivocal support for his sister Phoebe. Do you know that word commend is really important there? Um, He's not just giving a shout out, hey, here's Phoebe. But the word commend means to stand with someone. You say, well, how important was that? Well, back in that day, in that culture... For a man to stand with a woman in anything would have been mind-boggling, right? Because women were treated like they were a possession. Well, Paul obviously is wanting to make a distinction from the culture, and he's saying, hey, listen, I stand with Phoebe. I'm a supporter of, if you will, Phoebe. Isn't it interesting in chapter 16 that the first person mentioned in the list of folks that obviously had um, influence in the church, Phoebe was the first. That's not an accident. Paul wanted the church at Rome to receive Phoebe, as he says, in a manner worthy of the saints. In fact, it's interesting as you read through there, Paul says, greet this person, greet that person, greet this person, greet that person. But if you go to verse 23 of Romans 16, all you might have to do is flip a page, there are three people that are mentioned that obviously were a part of Phoebe's life there in Sincre or in Corinth. We don't know. It doesn't tell us in the context. But there are three. The first one is Gaius, who it says in verse 23, Gaius hosts to me and to the whole church. So, This person apparently had a lot of resource. Um, A lot of wealth would have been uh, what describes this person, Gaius. Definitely a lot of resource because he says he was a host to me and to the whole church. And then notice it says there's Erastus, the city treasurer. There was a civic position that Erastus held. So you read those two and you look and you go, wow, okay, those two were really important in the life of of Phoebe and the life of that church there in Sincre. But there's one other person mentioned, and this one other person is interesting to me as well, Quartus. Notice what it says about Quartus. It says, Quartus, the brother. And that's it. You say, what else do we have about this guy? Nothing. There is nothing else. In all the pages of Scripture, all that's said is the brother. So I look at Gaius. I said, well, a man of importance. Erastus, a man of importance who's held a civic position. I look at Cordus and I go, eh, man, he's not that, that great. Oh, no, 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 no. He's a brother. And remember the way Paul starts out chapter 16, our sister. So you have the brother. One day you and I are going to meet. Do you know that? If you're in Christ, you're going to... Listen, and now that we've been introduced, we're going to have to find the dude, right? Because the Bible talks about him as being a brother. So all throughout, Paul greets, but when you come to verse 23, he 
mention some folks that were involved there with Phoebe in the ministry. Um, it also may be that because she, um, he, he gives the support to her because it may be that in some way, and I want you to hear this right, it may be in some way that she had to give some explanation to the ones that she was delivering the letter to. Is that possible? I mean, do you just hand a letter to somebody or do you explain, hey, here are the contents of the letter? I'm not saying that's what she did, but I'm, I'm quite certain that it may have come up. What's in the letter? And she may have had to give some type of explanation to them. Um, so he begins by declaring his unequivocal support for this woman whose name was Phoebe. Um, the second thing that Paul says about Phoebe is that Phoebe was a servant of the church at Sincre. Now, this is where you're going to have to stretch, okay? You're going to have to stretch and you're going to have to loosen up and not be so tight because you're going to be introduced to something that's going to make you a little bit uncomfortable potentially. I know it made me uncomfortable when I was studying it because I thought about standing in front of you. But I'm going to present what's here because it's important for us to not bypass it. There has to be an explanation. Paul declares that Phoebe was a servant of the church at Sincre, And he uses the term, you might be familiar with it, diakonon, to describe his sister Phoebe. And the word itself has two primary meanings. The first one's not going to bother you one bit. Now, the first... The first uh, definition of the word diakonon refers to one who helps others. You say, well, did she help others? Well, in the context of the passage, it tells us that she absolutely did. Look at verse 2. That you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you, for she herself has been a helper of many. And of myself as well. And so Paul declares the fact that, hey, Phoebe was indeed one who helped. And so that's the way the word diakonon is used at times. Um, He even uses a term in verse 2 that's uh, pretty substantial. He used the term patronos, which means helper of many, to describe Phoebe. And as I tell you in that note there, the word was used to refer to a person who helped, typically financially, helped come to the aid of other people. So she had money. She had wealth. She was able to help others there in Sincre and even maybe even beyond Sincre. And we know what Paul says, hey, she helped me as well. So as I was thinking about Phoebe being a helper of people... There were two things that crossed my mind. Number one, how are we a helper of people? There's application for us to consider. We all don't help in the same way. We're not all able to help in the same way. But we find here that Paul describes her as a helper of many people. And thus he uses the word patroness um, to describe her. I also thought about different women in the Bible who helped in some capacity. I wanted to mention just a few For you, Ruth, who provided for the needs of Naomi. You remember that in Ruth chapter 2. And then Esther, if you read chapters 4 and 5, you see she risked her life in coming before the king to be an intercessor for the people. 
You remember that story? And then one that you might not be as familiar with is Dorcas. How many of you have heard of Dorcas? Good, so a few more. All right, she made garments for widows. A need? Absolutely a need. A way to help people? Absolutely a way to help people. Then I thought about, the Lord brought this to my mind. I just thought about Proverbs 31. The Proverbs 31 woman, you know, it's talked about a lot of times on Mother's Day. But here it is. Look what it says about this woman. She extends her hand to the poor. And she stretches out her hands to the needy. You know, one of the things you can't help but notice, guys, if you read the book of Acts, is how the church helped one another. You just can't help but see it. The Bible says, as the church was growing there in Jerusalem, that they were giving to one another as one might have need. Now, we look at that today and people talk about it and go, well, that was for then. That's not really now. Well, what are we, what are we talking about? People have all kinds of needs. The first thing that comes to mind typically is financial. Does that make you uncomfortable? Talking about financial needs that people might have? Sure it does. Makes you uncomfortable. Because our culture, listen, our culture, some people just do this. Give to me. And it really, if we're just honest, it turns us off. But we're not talking about the world. We're talking about the church. Okay, that's the context. So we're looking at the church, and as one in the church might have need, how are we going to know that need? We're going to know that need by word of mouth. We're going to know that need by observation. And how do we respond to the needs of people in the body? Is it important? I believe it's absolutely essential. I've had people have discussions with me about this. That how in the world do you know if you should give to someone or not? And it's not always a financial need. There are lots of ways that people need our help. And so it's obvious in the context of the passage in Romans that Phoebe helped many people because she had the resources to do so. Okay, I know it's a subject that might make you a little uncomfortable But it's okay in life to be uncomfortable because if God puts on your heart a need that someone might have and you're able to help with that, isn't that okay? It's okay to do that within the body of Christ. Well, you think you're uncomfortable with that. Let's just move on to the next thing, all right? Not only does the word diakonon refer to one who needs help, but... That word is used by Paul in the New Testament to describe the office of deacon. Now are you uncomfortable? I told somebody this week, people might have to get up and stretch at this point, right? You know, there are churches that have deaconesses. Did you know that? You say, Thad, who has deaconesses in their church? Many. In fact, did you know um, John MacArthur has a whole list on the back of his bulletin of deaconesses. I just want to make you a little more uncomfortable and say that um, I think the reason that you find deaconesses in some churches has to do more with the region of the country than it does interpretation of Scripture. I'll give you an example. When I was in Bible college, one of the things in our pastoral theology class that that our our professor talked about, um, who was Dr. Talley, He said, you know, guys, when you go out there and you get in the ministry, 
there are going to be places where facial hair is accepted and where it's not. Oh, I got it. So he would tell us, he, he told us, he said, if you go to the Northwest, they're not going to care at all about facial hair. You can have it all day long. You go to the Northeast, you can have facial hair all day long. You go to the Midwest and to the South, not so much. How many of you like my goatee? Huh? Now I got uncomfortable, right? Here's the reality of it, that sometimes the culture, right, can play a part. I'm not excusing that. I'm just saying that that's just the reality of it. There are some churches that have deaconesses. Um, I believe they have them because they believe it to be biblical. But also I think that parts of the country or regions of the country, there can be an influence in that way. I want us to see at least what the Bible says. It may help us to understand this better. Because Paul apparently had no problem using the term. He could have used lots of different terms. But he didn't. He used the term diakonon. It's interesting that I will say this. There is something contextually that I believe may point to the fact that indeed she had a position in the church in Sincrete. I'm not saying she stood up behind a pulpit and preached every week. That's not what I'm saying. That would Listen, Paul is very clear in the book of 1 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verse 12, that women are not to have authority over men. In fact, the verse says, I do not allow a woman to teach or ex- exercise authority over man. So that's not what we're talking about. We're just talking about the fact that she had some kind of position. That position may have been regulated to women and children. I have no idea. But the reality is that the context might give us a clue as to what Paul's talking about. Notice what it says uh, in verse 2. That you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you, for she herself has also been a helper of many and of myself as well. You back up to verse 1. It says, Phoebe is a servant of the church at Sincre. Now I know this is um, pretty minute maybe in some people's minds, but I think it would be very important. Notice Paul didn't say that she was a servant in the church at Sincre. Easily he could have said that. Okay? And he said it before in describing other people. He says she was a servant of the church at Sincre, which tends to make one believe, just based on word usage, that she had some type of position there in the church at Sincre. The Bible does not tell us that um, she had authority over men. It does not tell us what she did, but it does tell us that she is described as a diakonon, a servant of people. Um, which I find to be interesting. There are some men that you respect, I'm quite certain, who have um, positions, and this is important to say this, this is kind of one of those second-tier issues, maybe third-tier issues that come up in the church. Um, This is an uncomfortable subject for many, I'm just being honest with you. And when the Lord led me to talk about Phoebe today, I was like, can't we pick someone else? But um, nonetheless, you have to discuss it because it's there. You just can't skip over just because you want to. And I'm not saying I have the answer because there are theologians on both sides of the aisle that 
um, believe differently. But John Walvoord, I think, has an interesting comment that I wanted to um, ah, give you. I thought I put it on PowerPoint, but I didn't. He says, the word diakonon is used for the office of deacon, which I have just said. He said, use of the word along with the description of, of the church strongly suggests that she had some type of recognized position there in Sincrete. Um, John MacArthur, as I mentioned, he has deaconesses in the church that he serves. He says, in the early church, women servants cared for sick believers, the poor, strangers, and those in prison. That should say they. They also played a big role in teaching women and children. And then he makes this comment, whether Phoebe had an official title or not, she had tremendous responsibility in delivering this letter to the Roman church. And so at the end of the day, that's a pretty good place to land, okay? Um, We don't know whether she did or whether she didn't, but she obviously was an important person in the life of the church there in Sincre. Interestingly enough, I wanted to research this a little more, and I got into studying Second Timothy. I thought, well, if I bring that, or First Timothy, if I got to bring that to you today, we'd be here till one thirty. But I ran across a letter, um, uh, Pliny, who served as governor of Bithynia from one eleven to one thirteen A.D. Wrote a lot of different letters. Okay, some of those letters we have access to. He wrote a letter to Trajan, who was the Roman emperor from 98 to 117 A.D. Now, this letter I thought was quite interesting, and it's just something for our consideration. But he wrote this letter while um, he was governor, and he wrote it for a purpose that you and I would be interested in. He wrote Trajan a letter because he wanted to know how to deal with Christians, he didn't know how to deal with them. He wanted to know what they, he needed to do. And he wanted to get all that stamped approved by Trajan. And so he writes him a letter about these Christians who are causing an uproar. And he says this. So this is Pliny writing to Trajan. It is my practice, my Lord, to refer to you all matters concerning which I am in doubt. Pretty smart guy, if you can just look at it, and he's getting clearance here. I've never participated in trials of Christians, and I've been hesitant as to whether there should be any distinction on account of age. Is pardon to be granted for repentance if a man once, this is how he words it, has once been a Christian and then ceases to be one? In other words, if they... Pressures put on them. They like, I, I don't belong to that group of people. Um, in the case of those who were denounced to me as Christians, I have the following procedures. So this is what he was doing. I interrogate. I interrogated them as to whether they were Christians. Those who confessed, I questioned a second and third time, threatening them with punishment, and for those who persisted, I ordered them to be executed. Now, you know, we talk about the early church being, you know, going through trials and tribulations and being executed. This is real life stuff. Some were asserting that they were not associated with Christ. 
You remember there's a, a person in the Bible who um, is talked about as being Paul a part, part of Paul's ministry. And then, he, and then the Bible tells us that he forsook Paul. You remember Demas? Having loved this present world. Well, I don't know what was all involved in having loved this present world. But freedom's a pretty good thing. Can we agree on that? Now, if you're going to be associated with the Apostle Paul, freedom might not be there. In fact, he spent a lot of time in prison, as we know. So, it kind of puts some, some meat on the bone as we think about what took place in the first century. He says, some were asserting they were not associated with Christ. They affirmed that they had ceased to be involved in traditions that they previously held. So... He says, I found it necessary to find out if such was true. In other words, if they were ceasing this practice or these practices. And a lot of that had to do with getting together and sharing meals, you know, being together. He says, so I tortured two female slaves to try to get information out of them who were called deaconesses. And his conclusion was, I discovered nothing from it. In other words, nothing came from torturing these two women, these two female slaves. Now, look, when you walk out of here today, I don't know what you're going to think about all that. I'm sure you'll text me or you'll call me or you'll write me an email. And some of it may be, Thad, why did you even approach that subject today? And my answer will be, so if you're going to text me that, I'm telling you what my answer is. My answer is, it's in the Bible. And so you have to deal with it. It makes us uncomfortable. But I would say that for sure we could at least say this at Grace Community Church at Deerfoot. There are several Phoebes in our presence. I believe that with all my heart. All right, well, there's one more thing, and I'll leave you with this. There's one more thing that is said there in the context of Romans 16 about Phoebe. Paul declared that their conduct toward Phoebe needed to match their calling as saints. Why would he say that? I think there was, I don't, I don't know, it doesn't tell us. Was it because she was a woman delivering a letter to them? Um, was he concerned about how that would look? How they would receive that? Because it is quite interesting that in the list, she is first on the list. What does it mean to have conduct that is in calling as saints. What does it mean to be a saint? First of all, it means to be set apart for the Lord. And if you're a believer in Christ, you're set apart for the Lord. So positionally, you're set in Him at salvation. Okay? That is a forever thing. But holiness is connected to this word saint. And not only am I holy in the sense that I'm in right standing before God because of Christ, but I need to be holy in my behavior and how I receive believers. And that's what Paul is talking to this church at Rome about. He says, hey, your conduct toward her needs to match your position in Christ. So the natural question there for us to consider is, how do we receive saints? That's a subject all on its own. Our conduct toward other believers. You remember how we started the conversation this morning? About the fact that the Apostle Paul called Phoebe a what? A saint. 
How do saints respond to saints? Have you ever seen a saint respond to a saint in an unworthy manner? Have you ever been the one to do that? I've been guilty of not receiving a saint at times in the way that the Lord would want me to do that. So my, in other words, Paul is saying in summation, your testimony needs to be that you belong to Christ when you receive her. It, you need to look the part. It's interesting, though, that when Paul makes this request, he doesn't just say, hey, treat her in this manner, but he gives two reasons why they were to treat her in a manner worthy of the saints. Notice what it says, verse 2. Receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you. Here's why. For she herself has been a helper of many. So the testimony of Paul is, hey, look, she's been a key integral part of mixing with the believers in Sincre. And then he says, not only was she an integral part in the lives of many there, but don't miss this. Look at the end of that. And of myself as well. Well, guys, hey, listen. It's one thing for Paul to say, hey, look, she's been a helper of many people they don't know. But Paul's a different ballgame. Paul says, hey, look, not only has she been a helper of many, she's been a helper to me. She supported me in the ministry that the Lord has given well, there's one more thing I want to share with you. There was a slate that was discovered on the Mount of Olives that dated back to the 4th century. And on it were inscribed these words. Are you ready? Sophia, which means what? Wisdom. Sophia, the diakonos, the second Phoebe. <laughs> so, my conclusion is that to be called Phoebe was and is apparently quite honorable. At least we could say from her life that she made a difference in the lives of other believers for the glory of the Lord. I don't know how many days you have to live. I don't know how many days I have to live, but I know as I read my Bible and I look at these people, I'm like, hey, they're not all Pauls. They're not all Timothys. They're not all Lukes. You remember the analogy I used last week? They're not all Nick Sabins, right? But they matter. They mattered. They mattered for the Lord. And all of you in here, in this room, who know the Lord Jesus, you matter. You matter first of all to him, and you matter to the saints that are in this room. All right, well, I don't know for sure who he's leading me to talk about next week, but I'm pretty sure. And I'm pretty sure there are two that you probably have not thought about. All right? Let's pray uh, together. Lord, I have no idea why you're having us study these people. For sure, I don't know. It might just be for me. But it, for me, I know one of the things it has done, it's, it, it's made me stretch my eyes, so to speak, and look around to see how important 
the entire body of Christ is. It's not Thad. It's not Thad and the elders or Thad and the elders and deacons. It's all of us who are in Christ. We're in the same canoe. We have different responsibilities, different things you've asked us to do, but we're all called to glorify you through the life that you've given us to live. And we've been given gifts and we've been given talents to glorify you. So I pray whatever those are, that we would know those and that we would stretch our own eyes to see and to appreciate people in this room that maybe we've never considered before. There are some Phoebes in this room. And I pray that, Father, we would recognize those people who serve well and that we would not only look at them as examples but that they would be encouragers as we seek to live every day to the glory of the Lord Jesus. And it's in his name we pray all of this. Amen. To end our time together in worship, um, I'd like for us to sing a song that's become a favorite of so many people. And what I like about this song is the way it was structured is it talks about who he really is. It says, in Christ alone, my hope is found. In Christ alone, my hope is. He is my light, my strength, my song. Then he goes through the second and third verses that talks about what he did, what he did. We're just not claiming somebody, but he actually did what he did, you know, to make him Christ alone. And the last thing is is a song of praise, a verse of praise that says, no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. And, uh, and that's what this song is. So I'd like to uh, end uh, today. Let's all stand and let's sing in Christ alone. In Christ alone my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest doubt and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all. Here in the depth of Christ I stand. In Christ alone who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness scorned by the ones he came to save till on that cross as Jesus died the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin on him was laid here in the death of Christ I live ground his body lay 
light of the world in darkness slain, then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again, and as he stands in victory, since curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. No guilt in life, no fear in death, this is the power of Christ in me. From first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I'll stand. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I'll stand. Song, isn't it? Whew. Want to sing it again? That's a good one. All right, well, guys, just want to remind you, 6 o'clock tonight is the movie, 4.30 to 5 o'clock anytime you want to show up and bring something to eat for me and for you. That would be awesome. And uh, Milo's is always good. It's always good. Saucer, no sauce, a little bit of fries with sprinkles stuff on top. Mm. Your heart doctor would want you to have that. All right? <laughs> hey, make sure you speak to somebody as you leave uh, today. You are dismissed.